Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harrow went to the $1.3 trillion business of sports. The sports industry gets bigger and bigger and bigger. We had a rare sports equinox last week. All four major U.S. sports leagues playing on the same day. More on that later, but it gets better as well as bigger and certainly more prolific. So let's take a look at the deal-making issues. Three to one. Three. Caesars Sportsbook app launches in Louisiana, even though betting is still not allowed. Louisiana residents hoping to place bets soon from their mobile phones can now download Caesars Sportsbook app. They're offering special promos to users that pre-register. These promos include $100 free bet the first day of mobile wagering for those who download and register before the first day of sports betting, an additional buck in free bets for each point scored by select local teams during launch week for those who deposit at least $50 before the mobile launch date. Hope it doesn't include LSU, at least until... They get their offense better, the advocate and Times-Picayune reported. Sports betting expected to go live in personal locations as as early as November 1. But bottom line is, download first, and Louisiana and the entire Gulf Coast region are a special part of the Caesars family, they say. Clearly, they're out there to get a jump on everybody else in the deal. And who can blame them? Two. Deal making issue number two. It's a bigger deal than most people expected. Samsung streams Shrines of Glory video series, the top college football programs. It's throughout the current season this is streaming. Passionate superfans from each university and part of Samsung's digital ad campaign to promote its its new 4K televisions. Of the 20 colleges, five of them, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, Texas, and Washington, have named Samsung their official consumer electronics television partner. The other colleges featured in the video series include Arkansas, Arizona, Baylor, Duke, Florida, and others. Series being developed by Publicis Sports and Entertainment and college marketing firm Learfield, which holds multimedia rights for all 20 participating schools. One. Deal-making issue number one, Modelo Especial. It's written the fighting spirit to the number two beer sales position in the entire U.S. Now the brand is making its first foray into college athletics with a college football playoff sponsorship as the official beer. Plans to introduce Modelo to a whole new segment of sports fan base. CFP opportunity became available when Dos Equis, the playoff's official beer since 2015, opted not to renew. Calling the CFP decision a no-brainer, Modelo brand chief Greg Gallagher said it was the kind of national sponsorship the brand has been seeking. Another Constellation brand's powerhouse beer, Corona, already has a handful of college sponsorships at schools including Texas and Ohio State. Modelo and played in the pro sports space, clearly, but they took the lead in talks with CFP rights holder ESPN. And by 2018, with the help of the Fighting Spirit advertising, Modelo muscled its way into becoming the best-selling import. That same year, Modelo made another landmark move. The Mexican Pilsner struck a deal with UFC to become its official beer, 
replacing Bud Light. And for a major property to partner with an up-and-coming brand as opposed to a more established beer provided another jolt of momentum. And Modelo's Fighting Spirit campaign, conceived by Constellation Chicago-based ad agency Cavalry and the UFC, were an ideal fit. Gallagher described compatibility when evaluating the marketing opportunities around the CFP and the full season on ESPN. Fighting generates dollars. Used to maybe not as much, but now it generates dollars. That's deal-making issue number one. And boy, we have a fighting business gentleman opportunity that you don't usually get. Jerry Cooney was at the top of the headlines from 1977 to 1990, fighting for number one against Larry Holmes. In 1981, 54 seconds was all Ken Norton lasted in the ring with him. In 82, his fight, 150 countries in 12 rounds. Most important issue for Jerry Cooney is what he's done after the ring. The Fighters Institute for Support and Training, Camp Cooney, all of those issues mix business, social media, a quick wit, and somebody that's wanted to give back in a way that certainly makes some sense. And given where UFC and where boxing and all of those sports are in the history of sports business, it's important you listen to the message from Jerry Cooney. We have a whole bunch of, let's call them mainstream athlete and executives from time to time, but nobody denies that boxing from a lot of different perspectives has been more mainstream than a lot of other sports. In the 50s, it was the sport. And frankly, it may be making a comeback, but somebody who has been an institution and he's been on my shows from time to time and call him a friend, although he did try to lay me out one day with that brutal left hook of his. Jerry Cooney, how are you? I will do it. I'm going to do it. Next (laughs) time on your mind, bro. Yeah, but the problem, the good thing about this interview, by the way, in case you didn't know, because we had this prior conversation, this is by phone. This is not face-to-face, so you could say anything you want, but we're still separated from Freetown or Fremantle, oh. New Jersey, wherever you are, in Florida. Okay, I'm, so we're 1,200 I'm, miles I'm, away, I'm, so don't get yourself worked up. I'm so sorry. I can't remember. <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> Thank you, man. What's really going on, bro? Good to be with you. Thank you. So, listen... From 1977 to 1990, you were you were it. You were moving in the circles. You were a boxing business guy, and you came within a match in '82 and again in '87, being the heavyweight champion of the world. Yeah. That's not even the yeah. point, but you know you were a big deal, and you still are. So, talk a little bit about your early career. Talk about you know the Holmes match, and tell us about the kind of life uh, uh, in the old days. So I had a great career. I started as a kid. I grew up in a rough Irish Catholic family, a lot of ne- neglect and abuse and boxing fed me, helped quiet my anger. And then they put my picture in the paper. It seemed like every time I was in the Golden Gloves, I'd go to the newspaper stand the next morning. I was on the back page knocking some guy out. So I won the middleweight title at 16. I made it to the light heavyweight finals. I won the heavyweight open class. I fought on the United States team for a while. I got invited to the finals of Olympic trials. I never went because I, I said my father was sick. I didn't believe in myself back then. From my upbringing, I didn't get a lot of answers to the questions we have as kids growing up. So I didn't show up on the biggest day of my life. The biggest regret of my life, 
maybe I couldn't admit it, but I didn't take the shot. And that's my life today is that you got to take the shot. You got to jump in the water. And then I turned pro. You know, I had, my friends were going to college. I had to find a career. And I found a career. I found a couple of guys who signed up Howard Davis, the Olympic gold medal winner. And, uh, and, uh, and I went along with those guys. And we walked up the ladder. It took me a bit of time. And next thing you know, I'm fighting in Madison Square Garden for $20,000. I thought I made it. Fighting Dino Dennis, I knock him out in three rounds. I get a shot for 100000 Fighting Jimmy Young in Atlantic City, I knock him out in four rounds. I get a shot with, you know, Ron Lyle. I knock him out for a quarter million. You know, so I'm moving up the ladder. I'm having fun. I knock out Norton. I'm ranked number one in the world. And I get the shot with Larry Holmes. And unfortunately, you know, I was started, that night I knocked out Norton, I started to drink and not take care of myself so well. I don't know if it was fear or I felt like I deserved it, but I made a big mistake. And I was to find out only last year that Larry Holmes never drank, never smoked, never took a drug his whole career. And I was drinking at 12. So anyway, but that being said, you know, I made it to the top. That's amazing. And I got stopped in the 13th round that night. Well, and, and, uh, and frankly, that's not your legacy. You know, your legacy is, is today. And we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, and by the way, the, the humility of knocking out Ken Norton. Yeah, in 54 seconds. That's not even, you know, that's not even uh, going to the concession stand. So, you know, good for you. The, the least you could have done I, is to give the people listen, their money's worth, I, right? I mean, please. I heard, a lot of those, I heard a lot of those stories. What do you think it's going to be like for you? Yeah, there you go. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. It's going to be really quick because I'm never going to see you. It's always by phone. So, so listen, here's, here's the thing. Um, obviously, you uh, are, are very introspective now, and you were at the top. And then the transition from kind of boxing to life after boxing, how, how, did, you, how did you turn from – Jerry Cooney, the boxer, into Jerry Cooney, the philanthropist, uh, you know, Jerry Cooney, the, the statesman. I would say Jerry Cooney, the businessman. Well, you know what? The, the thing that keeps drawing fighters to the game is when you walk out of your dressing room and you hear the roar of the crowd, it makes you magical. It's a feeling you don't get anywhere. I'm getting chills telling you about it. But that day does come when you have to turn the page and get on with your life. And athletes, as a whole, I think, we all stay around a little too long because we're going to figure it out before we move on. I'll get one more payday, then I'll figure out what I want to do with my life. And it never works out that way. We have to get dropped on our butt, stand up, dust off our pants, turn the page, and get moving. And fortunately for me, I was very lucky because I I formed uh, an organization to help fighters with the transition from boxing to a real world. Now, you know, fighters and athletes as a whole, they don't, they don't, no one teaches them about when the career is over, how do you get married? How do you, you know, walk into the, into the sunset? How do you figure things out? It's all about they take care of everything, so you're dependent upon them. And that's the shame of it. And I had two guys that couldn't, two managers that couldn't stand each other, so I had one watch the other. I don't know where I got that from, but I got it. Well, you were bright enough to figure that out, but uh, it's not necessarily intelligence and street smarts, but the Fighters Institute for Support and Training, the Camp Cooney, all of those initiatives have one thing in common, which is you trying to help others 
who are not so fortunate, not because you had more than they did growing up, clearly, but you did more with yourself and you're passing it on. So tell us just a little bit more about that and what the future is for all of the philanthropic efforts you're doing today. Well, also with that came along a positive side. I got to grow with it. So I became a part with it and we both grew together. The guys, we cried together, we laughed together and we found, you know, how to go about it. We had a, you know, great people that were with us. Uh, and, and we all sat down and board meetings and listened and tried to help and had fundraisers. And, you know, the bottom line is most fighters or athletes, they want you to take care of them because that's all they learned. And we had the, the idea that we don't give the man the fish. We teach him how to fish and then teach him how to fish. He can raise his family and take care of all his issues and, you know, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, and, and, and walk the walk. You have a whole group of, of aspiring fighters and, 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 and folks who are basically looking up to you. So you provide some leadership, you provide in-ring, but you also provide kind of life lessons, right? No. You know what I do? I don't do anything extra. I don't do anything special. I just do the next right thing. And I tell people the truth. You know, I was at a, I went with a friend of mine, a big tough guy to this men's uh, detox and there was 80 disheveled men there. And he said to them, listen, most of you are not going to make it by this time next year. And I thought to myself, my God, how can you say that to these guys who are so disheveled? After the meeting, I asked them, and you know what he told me? He said, because it's the truth. And at that moment, you get a, a sober experience and thinking, wow, I never want that to be me. Yep. And, and clearly, you do pass it on. Give me a few comments about the boxing industry today as a businessman. Um, is it cleaner today? Is it harder to get into today? Uh, uh, are the athletes better today? Kind of tell me what you think of the industry today as opposed to 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Well, it's way better. I mean, we've caught up somewhat to speed. I mean, obviously, athletes still want to be taken care of. They don't really learn what they need. But I tell all athletes, when you sign a contract, I want you to take it to your boxing commission wherever you live and ask them to go over with you. That's their job and let you know what you're signing. Uh, and, and, yes, the fight game, we have a lot of great fighters. I haven't seen it so good. The only problem we've had is this pandemic which kind of knocked everything down for a while. And, and so it's starting to break again. We'll start, we saw Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder last week, a great championship fight that we'll know for years to come. And, uh, you know, Deontay Wilder showed up better. He learned more. He brought himself to the fight and fought. And uh, it was sensational. We got that in the light heavyweight division, the welterweight, the middleweight. We got Canelo Alvarez at super uh, middleweight. Just so many great fights coming up, and these guys throwing a lot of money in. Do you think the um, the UFC, uh, MMA, all of that stuff um, helps because it focuses people that weren't intense in boxing on kind of all all kinds of you know pugilistic sports, or do you think it's a distraction because it's a different kind of cat and different kind of industry? I think when it came out. Boxing was going through changes and there was a lot of mismatches. And so people kind of, there was a couple of promoters that were robbing these guys. So a lot of the fans pulled away from the game for a while. And MMA came in, 
Listen, I don't begrudge anybody what they do. I think it's it's very brutal. I think, you know, you break your legs, you break your face, you get kicked in the face. It's not really for me. But I think that boxing has been here from day one and it always will be. We just have to learn to be a little more safe. We have to pay attention a little more and have a referee in the middle there watching what's going on. And then obviously, you know, sometimes the scoring, I don't know what these people are watching or some of the scores they put out, but listen, it's come a long way, baby. You, we heard that a long time ago, and it's great. I'm, yeah. I'm on Sirius XM. I'm on Sirius XM channel 156 every Monday, every Friday from 12 to 2, doing nothing but talking about all the great fights coming up on Sirius XM. Well, there's a plug for you that was unanticipated, but I am going to block every uh, Monday and Friday for the rest of my life from 12 to 2 because I can't get enough oh, Jerry Cooney. So uh, here's the oh, other question I got good, for you. Me? Yeah, well, but uh, listen, you are good for the industry, and that's really important. One more thought about motivating athletes, and this comes out of left field, but you know, at Walt Whitman High, it, it, there are probably a whole bunch of kids, just like there are at schools all over the country, where they think they're going to get NIL, name, image, likeness money, because they're going to go into mainstream football, basketball. Do you think kind of the chase for the gold, the dollars in high school and junior high school are going to affect the ability to get some of the best athletes who could have been boxers or otherwise? Because right now the gold is limited to football and basketball and nothing else. I mean, where, where, do, you, where do you see all that coming out? Well, it's a gift. You have a gift. Those football players, they're gifted. Those baseball players, they're gifted. Boxers, we're gifted. It's a magic. You come out, you can find the opening, you can create the opening, you can set it up, you can make the guy think you're doing something else and land the shot. And kind of smile to yourself and see the other guy frown a little bit. And it's the same thing. It's, it's a game. It's, a, it's the art of self-defense. I tell everybody, listen... You're going to learn the box? Go to a gym. Don't say anything. Watch the guy who's teaching defense. Because anybody can teach offense. Watch the guy who's teaching you how to not get hit. Because that's very important for you. And I, I teach, I mean, all the great trainers have passed. And it's got a watered-down version of boxing alive now. Now, there's some good, there's some good teachers, but not like there used to be the Eddie Futches, the Victor Valley. Yep. And so... So these guys are taking shots they normally shouldn't be taking. That's got to stop. Because, you know, we found out through football that you doesn't yeah. do well when you get hit on the head. No, and and we've seen it. I've seen tons of people in my business who struggle today. They don't know if they're coming or going. That's got to stop. This is a great stop. world we live in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the final thing about the world we live in, uh, this will go to people who are business folks, students who want to get into sports. It's also people who want to kind of use it as a career or just understand it. The pandemic, as you mentioned earlier, beat the hell out of us. And now mm -hmm. we're coming back. What's your general advice for people who take away from the pandemic, maybe some positive stuff or certainly moving on? You know, what's your best advice for people to move on after the devastation of the last couple of years? Well, you know, ask a lot of questions, you know, that never hurts. You know, if you, no matter who you are, where you are, you ask the question, or somebody will appear to help you. I can't keep it to myself. Time is moving too fast. Nobody's waiting for me. You know, and, 
and and obviously you know you got to love yourself and you got to take you know be kind and you know do the right thing do the next right thing it never hurts to tell the truth as you might expect jerry cooney gives us some amazing perspective on boxing on business and of life here's your sports tech minute sharp alpha forms a partnership sports betting fund venture capital investing in early stage companies developing technology for the sports betting industry Sharp Alpha Fund One already taken stakes in 12 startups, and not only is the sports betting industry an inflection point, they say, but this is where the entrepreneurs are. The advisory board for the New York-based Sharp Alpha includes the global head of leverage finance at Merrill Lynch, the former chairman of Empire Resorts, the former chief commercial officer of Harris Blitzer, and the vice chairman of Caesars. Pretty significant. And that's your Sports Tech Minute. Finally, good sports. We keep talking about issues from a philanthropic perspective. We started during the pandemic. We are going to continue. Spalding released an easy-to-install basketball hoop assembled in 30 minutes. The assembly process easier and more enjoyable. The point is it's available for people that might not otherwise have the funds to get into sports, so really significant. Formula One McLaren Roberts McLaren Racing TAPS Medallia to analyze fan and employee feedback. They partnered with another uh, company, Automation Anywhere, to streamline business tasks. Clearly, the fans are not only more important in sports, but they're also getting feedback analytically. The World Cup we've talked about with Jerry Jones, that will be absolutely philanthropic because that's the way he is. And we also talked about Tom Brady becoming the first NFL player with 600 touchdown passes, the interplay with the fan agreeing to give back the historic ball was funny and appropriate, but the bottom line is Tom Brady, a charitable hero as well. And finally, we end with what we started with. The rare sports equinox occurred last Thursday. All major U.S. sports, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, occurring simultaneously. The last time, September 10, 2020, We've had days before, but now we have significant dollars in front of it, behind it, and the $1.3 trillion business of sports continues to get a boost. That's our show for the day. We'd love to thank Jerry Cooney. Jerry, you better listen. If uh, you don't, I know people will say I didn't thank you enough and you'll come after me. Don't want that. The man is amazing. I'd like to thank all of those who put the show together. And we'd like to thank you all for listening and watching. And join us next time when we continue to go inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. 